You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Fallout from the Trump-Putin summit. Cyber espionage campaigns resurface in East Asia. At least one of them originates in North Korea. Telefonica sustains a major breach of Spanish customers' details. Passwords to DVRs are found cached in an IoT search engine. Those DVRs' firmware is also vulnerable to exploitation. And the U.S. Census Bureau is asked to provide an overview of measures being taken to secure the 2020 census. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 17, 2018. The Trump-Putin summit is over, with predictable noises about reduction in tensions, scope for cooperation, healthy competition, and so on. But observers are baffled by President Trump's choice of the Helsinki meetings to air his now-familiar skepticism of the FBI and other elements of the U.S. intelligence community. He did ask President Putin about Russian information operations during the 2016 U.S. elections, received the foreseeable denial, and left it at that, leaving the impression that he sided with Mr. Putin over his own Justice Department. The impression was strongly reinforced by President Trump's Twitter feed over the weekend, and also at the post-summit press conference, where he said, with respect to his having asked President Putin about Russian hacking of U.S. political targets, quote, President Putin says it's not Russia. I don't see any reason why it would be, end quote. The reason it would be, of course, would be the conclusions the U.S. intelligence community reached that Russian information operations and cyber attacks were and have remained an active threat to the United States. Director of National Intelligence Coates described the activity as, quote, ongoing, pervasive attempts to undermine our democracy, end quote, and emphasized that the intelligence community was clear on that point. Late this afternoon, President Trump held a press conference in which he said he realizes his remarks in Helsinki require clarification. He didn't mean to say why it would be, but rather why it wouldn't be. Emphasis in his clarification. So he said he did think the Russians tried to meddle with the election and that he would vigorously defend U.S. elections against the Russians or anyone else. Also, he does have confidence in what the U.S. intelligence community has concluded, 
and that he wants to continue dialogue and negotiation from a position of strength. He said, quote, I have the strongest respect for our intelligence agencies, end quote, and praised both the line workers and the agency's leaders. Mr. Trump's discussions at the summit are said to have run contrary to the hardline course on Russian hacking and hybrid warfare his advisors are believed to have recommended to him. His performance has been cast as a game-time decision, according to sources quoted described by the Washington Post as familiar with the preparations. So the president may well have called an audible in Helsinki. President Putin did acknowledge disagreement over one aspect, at least, of ongoing hybrid warfare. Mr. Putin said, quote, President Trump's position on Crimea is well known. He talks about the illegality of the Crimean reintegration to Russia. We have another point of view, that a referendum was held in accordance with international law. For us, it's a closed question, End quote. President Trump's performance has generally not received good reviews, with reaction across the political spectrum ranging from disappointment to outrage. The president yesterday had already walked back some of his criticism about the intelligence community, saying he had great confidence in my intelligence people and emphasizing the importance of establishing better relations between the United States and Russia. Such loosening of tension would appear to be the best possible face to put on meetings, Indeed, the Give Peace a Chance take on the summit, voiced by Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, is about the only prominent U.S. support the president's performance has attracted, and that's tepid enough. Congressional Democrats understandably whooped it up this afternoon at a press conference of their own, taking a hard line on Russia that would have done credit to Barry Goldwater, and to be sure, they've got a point. Thanks to the considerable hype surrounding blockchain-driven cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's been a lot of buzz around clever applications of blockchain-distributed ledgers. James Tabor is CEO at Media Protocol, a company that's looking to use the blockchain and smart contracts to try to address many of the shortcomings of the current online advertising ecosystem. If you're an advertiser or a content creator, your way of reaching that audience is through these individual platforms and your money and your content goes in uh, one side and the audience's data and attention goes in the other, but never the twain really meet. And what we're trying to do with blockchain is bring a degree of transparency, not only to say the buying and planning purposes, but with media protocol to create a direct consumer relationship. So as a content creator, you would be able to understand who in your network or who in your audience is responsible for that little bit of magic, which is you know sharing or, or actually promoting your content more organically. How does this address, I guess, what I would describe as a natural tension that's at play right now when it comes to online advertising, which is that uh, while people enjoy having ads targeted to them, they want to see ads that are of things that they're interested in, uh, they're not so happy about all of the tracking that goes on. Personally, I think we're not so happy about the uh, what passes for personalization these days, which actually is not personalized. It's I'm going to chase you around the internet with a bunch of stuff you've either bought or decided you don't really want anymore, mm. or actually you're occupying an entirely different headspace. I mean, if I've been looking at sneakers and I then, let's say, go and read something about my football team and then it's time to get back to what I was doing, and that could be researching the humanitarian crisis in Darfur, it's not really the best time to kind of serve me a personalized ad about a pair of sneakers <laughs> because my headspace has entirely changed. I believe that people enjoy being uh, advertised to, but a conversation I was having earlier today, actually, which is really relevant, is that more and more 
marketers uh, and brands are trying to create uh, content funnels. So it's not just about getting you straight into a pair of sneakers. It's about getting you into a piece of content about it could be to do with how you might be exercising. It could be uh, around um, your favorite sports team. There's plenty of other ways of reaching people. And that is more about relevance. And you, you mentioned tracking. And it's not necessarily it's not necessarily the tracking that is per se the issue. It's the layer of extra partners that sit in a way trying to add or do something to that piece of tracking. And that's come from some interesting tech cycles where people who don't necessarily understand the market that they're trying to change have come in trying to change it. For a bit of background, I started my career almost 15 years ago selling billboards. Uh, I created a digital out-of-home business when I was at university. And I actually then went and sold really big ones, the Clear Channel. And when I went into the digital world, then I went to commercial rights. Mm-hmm. And then I spent the last 10 years building technology platforms about making advertising data more easy and transparent to plan and buy. Now, for us, blockchain has been the missing piece of the puzzle. We'd, we'd kind of done the analytics pieces and the uh, pr- predictive and then prescriptive analytics. We always had these edge cases with question. So for us, the smart contract allows us to bring that bit of clarity. The, the tracking and, and the data that we give to people in exchange for interactions can be used to create more relevant content. I think uh, we agree that having some things personalized towards us or made more relevant to us is actually a good thing. But using it as an opportunity to go, hey, hey, Dave, buy this. Hey, 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 Dave, buy that, isn't really what we should be using that data for. Now, what about the security aspects of combating ad fraud? Is this something that uh, use of the blockchain can address? You can certainly see there are certainly a number of ways that the blockchain can address this what constitutes a human. And you can use blockchain to uh, set, a, set, a, set an agreed bunch of parameters that would make it more likely that that person is a human. Obviously, we're not going to be silly enough to say we, that there's 100% certainty that this is going to be a human being, just as the way you would never say 100, something's 100% not hackable. But you can use using the blockchain as this ledger of, I would agree that uh, an impression is served when this happens. And this could be I think the IAB says it's one pixel exposed for three seconds. I mean, that's the kind of level you're dealing with before it becomes ad fraud. Uh, it could then say that you want someone to be logged into Chrome or to have used a Facebook OAuth or a an email login. And you can set all these different types of parameters or that they have used the browser in a certain way that means they are less likely to be a bot. Uh, that can be written into the smart contract so that an impression could then only be paid for when that criteria is met. That's James Tabor from Media Protocol. Trend Micro reports an uptick in reconnaissance by the Andarial Group, a subunit of Pyongyang's Lazarus Group. Andarial's program includes mostly South Korean targets. The threat group is exploiting an active X vulnerability in watering hole attacks. The activities seem to have been observed in the reconnaissance phase of the overall operation. Trend Micro is also tracking the reappearance of the Black Gear cyberespionage actor. Black Gear, which is also known as Top Gear and Komni, seems most interested in Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. It's notable for its deployment of the Protux backdoor and its use of social media as command and control channels. There's been another data breach that will fall under the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, Telefonica, one of the world's largest telecommunications companies, has reported a data breach that exposed personal information of millions of Spanish customers. European authorities have been notified, and the investigations have begun. The data was lost through the company's movie star services, which includes landline, broadband, and television. 
New Sky Security reports finding passwords for tens of thousands of DVRs manufactured by Dahua. The passwords were cached within search results delivered by Zumai, an IoT search engine. The devices are also running old firmware, susceptible to a vulnerability that would allow an attacker to establish a TCP connection on a Dahua DVR and deliver a tailored payload through that connection. Concerns about election and census security are being raised in many quarters of the U.S. The next census, to be held in 2020, will rely far more than any previous constitutionally mandated census on electronic means of data collection. A group of former federal cybersecurity officials have called on the Census Bureau to review its security measures and to provide an overview of that security in a transparent fashion. To return to yesterday's summit for a moment, President Trump did congratulate President Putin on the country's successful hosting of the World Cup, and President Putin gave him a commemorative soccer ball. Some people, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina among them, have in all apparent seriousness advised that the soccer ball be scanned for bugs. But the soccer ball is probably as innocent as those little portable cooling fans passed out as swag during the Singapore meetings between U.S. and North Korean leaders. So the soccer ball may well be innocent enough, but given that one of the principal objectives of Russian information operations has long been to erode confidence in the policies, views, and conclusions of the United States government with respect to information and cyberspace, it seems difficult to regard the summit as anything other than an own goal. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Cybersecurity and Engineering at WebRoot. David, welcome back. We wanted to touch base on ransomware, specifically uh, ransomware in the UK. That is an area that you all do a good bit of business in. Um, what are you seeing over there? Well, you know, it, it, ransomware is a problem everywhere. And and in this case, we, we did some, uh, as you say, uh, we do have a significant uh, business over there. So we, we did some specific research in the UK. Um, and, and we interviewed over 400 IT decision makers and found that 45% of those had suffered some type of ransomware attack. And, and even more surprisingly, 23% of those actually paid the ransom. Wow. Did they get their stuff back? They did. Uh, it's it's a pretty high percentage that are seeing, uh, you know, when they do pay the ransom, they do do get their stuff back. Hmm. But David, just on that topic, and we've talked about this before, I want to remind people, you should check with your security vendor to make sure any ransomware you may decide to pay for is actually panning out in good quality because you, you don't want to pay for something if the ransomware is poorly written. And, and you're not going to get your, your ransomware uh, un, unencrypted. Right. There's some ransomware out there where it's not possible to decrypt the, <laughs> decrypt the data. Yeah. Exactly right. But, but it, that's, you know, that, I digress on that. But yes, m- most people are getting, getting when they pay the ransom, and I'm not advocating do that, but, but most people are seeing their data unencrypted. Now, you all saw some, some other interesting stats with the survey that you did in terms of risk mitigation and recovery processes. What can you share there? Well, this is where it gets fun and scary at the same time, and sometimes scary is fun. Um, 88% of the organizations felt like they were better equipped now to deal with ransomware, but ironically, only 36% of them were doing regular backups and were sure their backups were working. And that's the number one way for anyone to recover from a ransomware attack is to have very solid backups. That seems like a soberingly small percentage of organizations to have backups. Well, I, I mean, forget ransomware. That's sobering in general in, in this yeah. day and age that, that people aren't still doing solid backups. Wow. What else did you find? Staff training, David. At the end of the day, everything boils down to are you training your staff to make sure you're, you're performing good hygiene, not getting fished, ensuring that, that – People aren't going to expose you because people are typically the biggest problem um, when it comes to uh, exposure to ransomware, any type of cyber threat. Um, And then crisis drills. You know, a lot of organizations don't spend their time going through crisis drills to determine how well they would do if something did happen and how they would recover from it. Yeah, I heard from an organization recently they were saying that uh, all of their crisis drill manuals were stored on the system. So when stuff got encrypted... (laughs) They couldn't get to those drills. Oh, David. That's <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's easy to laugh, but, it, you know, I mean, it's 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 funny, but scary at the same time, like you said at the at the top of the, the segment. It, it is. And, and David, the, the big thing here, and, and I think we all experience this uh, running our, our businesses, it takes time and energy away from our core business. And so you do have to understand the risk you're exposing yourself to and the amount of time, energy and resources you want to commit to it. But but I would think you would want to spend some time up front to understand those risks and either do or don't do things with purpose rather than, you know, running your business on hope because hope isn't really a plan. Yeah. All right. Well, good advice as always. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, David. Have a great day. 
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 